0: Good morning, Hillcrest. How are y'all today? Very good. Greetings to those who are joining us online. So grateful that you are tuning in with us. And for those who are here in the house, so great to see you. You know, There's no place I'd rather be on the Lord's day than in the Lord's house with the Lord's people. Anybody agree with me? Let's open the Lord's word today. We'll continue in a series of messages that our pastor started a couple of weeks ago. And what is chronologically the first piece of correspondence ever written in the New Testament, the letter from James. It is full of wisdom, full of everyday living wisdom, practical theology. We're calling it grassroots theology. And if you recall from a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Jim introduced this series, he said James will touch on and really focus on five key themes throughout this letter. The theme of trials. The theme of speech, how we, how we talk, wealth, mercy, and prayer. And it's that final one that we'll turn to today, the subject of prayer. We'll spend some time looking at that today. James has a lot to say about it, and I believe we need to hear it. And so our text today is James chapter 1. We'll look at verses 5 through 8 together. If you want to follow along in a printed copy, the Pew Bible in front of you, that will be on page 950. It's in your sermon guide. It also will be on your screen there. And if you wouldn't mind, please join me in standing as we honor God's word and reread it together. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It is inspired by God. This is God's holy word. James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and we are your people. We believe your word when it says to us so clearly. If we lack wisdom, we need only to ask. And so I do this morning. Please give me wisdom to understand your word. Please give us wisdom to believe your word, to live it out in our lives in a way that makes a difference, not just for us, but for everyone around us. Give us a good few minutes in your word as we consider it this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. One of the most useful tools in the human language is the question, specifically the request. You're sitting around the dinner table at Thanksgiving. You ask, would you pass me the macaroni and cheese? Or the question that my wife loves to ask me, will you take out the trash today? I get that one a lot. You know, there was a day when I asked her a very important question, Uh, We had gone to visit my parents who lived in Stark at the time between Gainesville and Jacksonville. And we were on our way back. We were going to go back to Pensacola. And it's customary for our family whenever someone does interstate travel to gather around together. And we say a word of prayer for travel mercy is what my dad calls it. And so we did. And I got my Bible and I read a passage from Ephesians chapter 5. This beautiful passage about Christ and the church being reflected in this relationship between the husband and the wife. Crystal had no idea what was coming. And then I got down on one knee and I said to her, Crystal Bonham, will you marry me? Uh, And she said yes. And the rest, as they say, is history. You know what's noteworthy about that question, that particular question, though? More and more people these days are asking it only to get the heartbreaking response of no. Time Magazine gave a report a few years back that examined five reasons, the top five reasons the survey did, of why people say no when asked the big question, the question, will you marry me? This company surveyed 2,144 American residents who were 21 years Or older who had previously rejected a marriage proposal. And the participants didn't have to choose just one specific reason, but they gave all the factors that contributed to their rejection. And here are the top five reasons I'll go in ascending order. Number five, they're scared of the commitment. Number four, they lack trust in the relationship. Those are pretty good reasons. But listen to the top three. Poor wording of the proposal. How do you mess that up? (laughs) Number two, poor ring choice. 53% people said poor ring choice. And the number one reason, according to this survey, the number one most reported reason why people said no was unromantic proposal setting. Think about that. 2,000 people, over 2,000 people surveyed and Two thirds of them said the proposal setting was a factor. And they're saying, no, guys, I hope you're taking note today. My point is this. There's a trend of people who are saying no to this particular question for the slightest and most trivial reasons. And yet there is a request to which our God never says no. There is a big question that we can ask where the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth will always answer with yes. And this passage today is the key that unlocks the door to hearing yes from the giving God. James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Pastor Jim says, the pastor of First Baptist Jerusalem, he's writing to his scattered flock who are experiencing difficulties They're going through what he calls trials, and he's instructing them to be faithful in the trials. We saw last week that what we need in trials is to be joyful. He says, count it all joy when you enter into trials of various kinds. Why? Why is that the case? Because God is at work through the trials for our good. He is testing us so that the testing of our faith would produce steadfastness or endurance. And if you look at the end of verse four, James gives us the purpose for that testing. He says, let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then he follows up in the next verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And this is very instructive for us. The fact that he goes from trials wisdom teaches us something very important. But just to reiterate from last week, something that I think we all need to be reminded of, we all go through trials. I believe it was Charles Stanley who said, and said rightly, you're either in a trial, you're coming out of one, or buckle up because you're about to go into one. Trials are very common to our experience whether they're physical or relational, emotional, vocational. They happen at work. But he goes from talking about trials to talking about wisdom, and that teaches us that what we need more than anything else in a trial is we need wisdom from God to endure the trial, to persevere through it. And the good news of the gospel is that because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done for us, We have access to God the Father who loves us. And like a good father, he is eager to give exactly what we need, including wisdom. That's the logic of this passage. And so what James is doing here, he's encouraging his readers to pursue spiritual maturity by asking God for wisdom. And from that, I derive the main point of today's message. It's this. It's the essence of the sermon in a sentence. Ask the giving God. He's encouraging his readers, and so I will encourage my hearers today. Ask the giving God. We'll see four things in this passage of Scripture today. We'll see the problem that we have. Namely, we lack wisdom. The solution that we should ask God The promise, it will be given to you, and fourth and finally, we'll see the condition that we must ask in faith with no doubting. And my goal is very simple. It's to encourage you, to inspire you, to trust God, to call upon him, to ask him for what you need. It is as though I have chopped off spiritual firewood, and I've walked to your fire pit, the fire pit of your soul, and I'm throwing logs onto the fire so that your soul will burn White hot for Jesus Christ. What is the problem we have? Number one, we lack wisdom. Wisdom is, of course, the capacity to understand God's will, to live skillfully in it. And James says, if, verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. To which I ask, who, who does not lack wisdom, James? <laughs> we all lack wisdom. But remember, James is a preacher, he's a pastor, he's a shepherd of souls. He is introducing this to us in a way that's very kind and very gentle. This is his way of saying, I know y'all lack wisdom, and here's what you need to do about it. But the fact that he introduces it this way, if anyone lacks wisdom, is instructive for us. Y'all remember this passage, Galatians five, the fruit of the spirit, Paul says one of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Paul will say elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. When we see our friends and our loved ones, our neighbors going through trials of various kinds, we can take a page out of James' book and engage them with kindness and with gentleness because even though it's them who needs help this time, very likely that'll be you that need some help the next time right and so he engages them with gentleness if any of you lacks wisdom because you have trials you definitely need wisdom and make no mistake about it we do have trials as i've said before but may i make a statement the trials are not our problem jesus had trials You can't read a page of the Gospels without seeing Jesus running into the Pharisees who are trying to harass him about healing on the Sabbath, for instance. The Sadducees trying to catch him in something he might say. He has demon-possessed people always around him, and he's casting out the demons. Jesus had trials. He had physical trials. He said the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And the apostles had trials. We're reading through in our Bible reading plan. Anybody still sticking with the Bible reading plan for this year? We've been reading through the book of Acts and we see Paul and Barnabas taking the gospel to even the Gentiles and they're experiencing trials. They're being stoned, they're being harassed because of their faith in Jesus. And I'm just making the point, the trials are not so much our problem. The problem is we lack wisdom in our trials. It's kind of like this, video I saw on social media earlier this year. You remember when we had that gas shortage a while back? Uh, there was a lady on social media I saw, she had managed to find a gas station that actually had gas and she went to pump in her gas. Pretty normal thing to do, except she was pumping it into a plastic shopping bag <laughs> and she was twisting it up and tying it. Uh, she had a trial, there was a lack of gasoline But she lacked wisdom as to how to capture that. Uh, We chuckled at that. But how many times have we tried to push a door that says pull? Or even more seriously, how often have we criticized our children or disciplined them in anger? How often have we, in a communication conflict, attacked the person when we should attack the problem? James has a lot to say about wisdom when you're going through trials and even more in context here, he's gonna talk about temptation to sin. How often are we prone to sin when we suffer trials? He's gonna tell us where temptation really comes from and how blessed we will be if we learn to overcome it. Beloved, do you fall into sinful patterns when you face difficult circumstances? These questions I'm asking are to shed light on what the real problem is. It's not that we experience difficulties. We're all going to experience that. The problem is not that we have trials. The problem is that we lack wisdom in our trials. As I said, wisdom is the capacity to understand God's will and to live skillfully in it. And because of sin, we lack that ability. We don't know how to do that, and so we need a solution. And God gives it. It is, ask God. James is a skillful preacher, and so he keeps it very simple and clear. You lack wisdom, this is what you do ask God. From this, we may consider the fact that so many of the problems that you and I have have very simple solutions. It's kind of like a problem I had once in my marriage. You are know, everybody's listening now, right? You notice I have short hair, almost none at all, getting kind of gray. There's another person in my house who has very long, beautiful, flowing hair. I love it, but it goes everywhere. I was not ready for this. I was especially surprised by how much is left behind when she washes her hair in the shower. It would get into the the bottom here and create, you know, uh, clogs and all that. And I was just vexed by this. I was perplexed by this. And then an older, wiser, godly man who also has a wife with long hair said to me, don't worry about it. Here's what you do. You go to Walmart, get one of those little catcher things. It'll be a game changer for you. And it was this <laughs> $1.87 I ever spent. What's my point? My point is the solution to my problem was very simple. And yet, James says, the solution to our problem is even simpler than that. He says, ask God. He doesn't say read a lot of wisdom books, although that's fine to do. He doesn't say you must earn your wisdom badge by doing a lot of good works and then God will give you wisdom, you know, a tit for tat kind of thing. No, he says, ask God. God, later in this letter, James chapter 4, he says very simply, something that we've all heard several times, you have not because you ask not, or you do not have because you do not ask, James 4, 2. I want you to imagine with me, entering to the kingdom of heaven, going to heaven, and behold, in front of you is all the things you would have received had you only asked for. The Bible says the reason you don't receive is because you don't ask. Now, there's more to it, and I'll explain that in just a moment. But let's just stop there for a minute and say to you one of the most important things from today's message, and it's that God is a giving God. How much of your life is spiritually impoverished simply because you don't ask God? Paul will say in Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything. Anybody struggle with anxiety? He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need wisdom. Anybody here willing to admit you need peace that surpasses all understanding? Then let us ask God. let us let our request be made known to Him, as the hymn writer said long ago, "Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear, all because we do not carry everything, everything, everything to God in prayer. And notice with me also, this may come as a shock to you. James does not say, seek out a group of people who will teach you to be wise and ask them. I know you're shocked to hear me say that. <laughs> Listen, what has two thumbs and loves small groups? This guy. <laughs> You'd be hard-pressed to find someone at Hillcrest who loves connect groups and growth groups and discipling groups more than me, but, but James doesn't say, go find a a group on wisdom, and you'll learn to be wise. Now, I do want to be clear. There are several passages in the Bible that tell us walking with wise people will lead to wisdom, right? The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There are several passages in Scripture that teach us to get in groups and to do life together and all that. I don't want to demean any of that. I'm talking about a matter of priority here. What comes first If you ask James, what is the first thing you do if you need wisdom? He says, ask God. That's what you do first. We gotta put first things first. He says, ask God. And the reason why that's important is because this is a directive to pray to the one who can give us what only he can give us, which is wisdom. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've just been singing about who our God is today. And the one who spoke all things into existence looks at you and looks at me and invites us and beckons us. He summons us into his presence to ask him for the things that we need. This is why Jesus will say to his disciples in Matthew chapter seven, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks they find and to the one who knocks it will be open do y'all believe that this leads to our third point this promise from the text what is the promise it will be given The promise you just heard from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew 7, I just read it, is repeated by James here in our passage today. Look at James chapter 1, verse 5 again. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I love this. James literally says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask from the giving God. The verb is used as a descriptor. It's used to modify the noun. This is grammar. I love it. He's not just God that we ask. James says he is the giving God. He always gives. This verb is not past tense. He gave before. He certainly did. It's not even future tense. He will give one day, maybe, No, James puts it in the present active participle, continuous action. He is the giving God. He continuously gives. It's his very nature to give. It's his character to give. He constantly gives. He is always giving to those who are always asking. If you forget anything I say today, don't forget this. Our God is a giving God. Some of you may be listening today and you've, you doubt that. Maybe you've been disappointed by others. Or maybe you've been tempted to believe that God will withhold some good thing from you. Or that to follow Jesus will mean you have to live a life that's miserable and awful, devoid of any joy. May I just tell you, that's not the God of the Bible. The Bible is so clear that when we pray to God, he never replies to us, come back tomorrow. Maybe I'll be the giving God tomorrow. Today I'll be focused on something else. No, he is always eternally the giving God. And I'm holding up to you this one infallible eternal truth that the God of the Bible is the giving God. God, and there is no reason for him to give us anything. I want to take a moment to magnify the grace of God. This concept that God is gracious. The fact that he's giving ought to make us stand up and applause because he doesn't owe us anything. Except wrath. Condemnation for our sins. Am I right? We've fallen from grace. And yet the Bible says so clearly, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God the father gave God the son as a sacrifice for sinners. We didn't ask him to do it. We didn't even know we needed him to do it. And yet the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm just here to tell you, God is a giving God. We see this in the Old Testament as well with Solomon, a young man, son of David, actually an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ by the flesh. He was between the ages of 13 and 19 when he took the throne, and the Lord appeared to him with these words 1 Kings 3 5 Ask what I shall give you, which is basically. Pulling up to a teenage boy and saying, Ask for it and it's yours. (laughs) Had he asked 99 out of 100, what would you hear? I want a Lamborghini. I want a billion dollars. Something like that. But not Solomon. Look at verse 9 of 1 Kings 3. Solomon said this Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. And the Bible says that it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and to this wise request for wisdom, the giving God said, because you've asked for this, and you've not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, now I do according to your word. God gave him what he asked for. And in fact, if you read that passage, God gave him much more than what he asked for. He gave him riches and honor and so much more. What's my point? God delights to give wisdom to those who ask. Solomon is an Old Testament example. James is sitting before us in the New Testament. And he says in verse five of James chapter one, verse five, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives how? Generously all without reproach that word without reproach means not finding fault in a way that demeans someone have you ever known someone who is willing to give but you got to hear about it too you know they'll give it to you but they're going to give you a little criticism on the backhand as well for no extra charge the bible says god's not like that he doesn't give and then give you a whole earful of why you don't deserve what he's given to you no for those of us who've experienced a parent like that or a teacher like that or a supervisor like that i just want to tell you god's not that kind of god that's what james is telling us he does not give in that way he gives warmly he gives eagerly he gives without hesitation he gives kindly he will never shame the asker for asking Some of us, part of the reason why we don't ask anybody for anything is because we got a little pride about ourselves. And yet, we bring that into our relationship with God as though that is somehow noteworthy before him. No, when we come before him in prayer, we come with a sense of humility, knowing we are desperate for what only he can give. And when we come before him, we come in faith knowing that he has promised, I will hear you and I will give to you. This is why Jesus says, and continuing in that Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse nine, he says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So we know our problem. We know the solution. We know even the promise. But there is a condition to the promise, and it is, in one word, faith. Look at verse 6 of James 1. He says, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, verse 7 that person the one who doubts must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the lord he's a double-minded man unstable in all his ways you know there are some passages from the bible some promises in god's word that are unconditional jesus will say in matthew chapter 5 for instance verse 45 that god makes his son Uh, rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust and in that culture where they're totally dependent on sunshine and rain that's good news for even people who don't believe in God you could be an atheist and you still receive the sunshine and the benefit of rain that's an unconditional promise from God to just show that his goodness to us but not every promise in the Bible is unconditional beloved Some promises, like the one right before us, is based on a condition. And we do well to take note of that. The giving God is also sovereign Lord. And he has the right to set the terms for his promises. And this is the term here. He says we must ask in faith. Otherwise, we should not expect to receive an answer to our prayer. Now, we could do a whole message on what it means to ask in faith, at least four or five things, but I'll focus on one today. To ask in faith is to ask expecting God to give it to you. This is praying with expectation. What the writer of the Hebrew says, coming boldly before the throne of grace. Now, I want to make a distinction here, because sometimes... People use terms like expectation, coming boldly. And if you're like me, you sometimes hear that and you think, maybe that's, is that similar to presumption, presuming upon God? Almost as though he owes us something. I want to be very clear about what I'm saying, what I'm not saying. No, we come before God humbly, as I said before, and we pray according to the will of God. We don't come and ask God for things that he hasn't promised in his word. We pray according to the will of God. But beloved, we must pray according to God's will with expectation, don't you agree? We actually ought to believe that the things we ask God for, he's going to give them to us. I dare say our main problem in prayer is not that we don't pray according to the will of God. We do that pretty well. Our problem tends to be that we pray the will of God without expectation. We ask God for things, but in our heart, we really feel, he's not going to give it to me. And we need to take a note out of James's book and learn from that. I've had the privilege of having somewhat of an eclectic Christian background. <clears throat> I stand before you today as a Southern Baptist minister by conviction, and I'm happy about that. Uh, but I was raised in a different tradition. Um, I was, believe it or not, raised Pentecostal amen. I had some Pentecostals in the room. All right. We always believe the Bible. We love Jesus, but we were just a little bit different. And the beauty, I think, of having some interface with different types of Christians who love Jesus is that you get to see the beauty and the strengths of different types of Christians. There's some things I think our Pentecostal brothers and sisters can learn from us as Baptists, but I also think, beloved, there's some things we can learn from them. And here's an example of one. When a a Pentecostal prays for something, they believe God is going to give it to them. You know what I'm talking about? They pray with prayer and expectation, faith in God. Now, it's true true that sometimes there's a naming and claiming, and I want to be careful. We ought not to ever do that. But our tendency is to react on the opposite end. And when we pray, almost give God an out. God, if you're up there listening, if you wouldn't mind, please. I know you really don't want to, but I'm just going to ask anyway. Sometimes we pray like that. And I'm just telling you, if I'm reading James 1 accurately, that's not what we ought to do. Would you agree? There's no point to praying God's will if you don't expect God to give what you're asking. Even if you recognize you lack wisdom and you've resolved to ask God for it. And even if you go to before him in prayer with all the right words, if you don't believe him, you're wasting your breath. This is what James says in James chapter six when he compares the doubter to a wave tossed by the wind. He says, for the one who doubts is like this. They're like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person, that one who comes before God asking but doubts the whole time, must not suppose they'll receive anything from God. Unstable in all his ways. Double minded, he says. Waves are unstable like that, they fluctuate based on the wind conditions. If the wind conditions are rough, they're just all over the place, like it was when we were doing the beach baptisms. We were getting lit up by those waves. That's what a double-minded person is like. It's to ask God with your mouth, but your heart's closed off from him. It's to say, Lord, please help me with your lips, but your heart says, no, he probably won't. It's asking God with this side of my brain, but doubting God with that side of my brain. That's what he's talking about. And how do you get over that? Some of us struggle with this. Some of us are convicted by this because we struggle with this. Can I just tell you, James does not say the way you get over this is you, deep down, you just dig deep down and you muster up some faith. No, what you do is you turn your eyes away from the circumstances. You turn your eyes away from the trials and you look to Jesus. This is what Peter did. He saw Jesus walking on the water. I want to walk on the water too. Everything Jesus did, Peter wanted to do it. If it's really you, Jesus, call me out there. And what Jesus say? Come on. And he walked on the water to Jesus until what? He he took his eyes off of Jesus. He saw the wind and he saw the storm and he saw the lightning and he saw all the things going on around. And he began to sink. And we're like that sometimes. We we're double minded because our focus is on something else. And I'm just gonna say, like the hymn says, "Turn your eyes upon Jesus." My only option to give you to deal with this doubting problem is to look to who you're praying to. I made a big to-do about this earlier. He is, may I remind you, the giving God. I shouldn't doubt that he's going to give to me when he himself in his word calls himself the giving God. He himself says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. His heart is to give to me. So, I need not doubt. I come before him recognizing he is who he says he is. I ask for things agreeable to his will according to his word, and I believe that I will receive exactly what I ask for in faith. This is what James is telling us to do. And, you know, James himself wasn't always a born again believer in Jesus. Did y'all know that? I was talking to my family last week. Just muse with me for a minute. It must have been difficult. I'm speculating a little, but it must have been difficult being raised in a house with Jesus as your brother. Can you imagine that? I mean, some of y'all were raised in a house where your parents constantly said, why don't you be more like?" I mean, they literally were saying that. He never did anything wrong. And I said, I'm speculating. I don't know what their relationship was like, but I wonder if that wasn't something of an issue for James. There's some passages in scripture where he says things like this guy's out of his mind in his youth, but he came to a point where he recognized Jesus for who he truly was. And he says, he is not just my brother. You see the opening verse of this letter. He is my Lord. I am his servant. And James went on to be a strong man of prayer. You know, church tradition gives James the nickname camel knees. Did you know this? He would spend so much time on his knees in prayer that he became known for how rough and calloused his knees were. He spent so much time in prayer that he became known to be a man of prayer. And I'm just telling you, if you're someone who doubts in prayer, you can be like James and go from being a doubter to being a noteworthy man or woman of prayer. And I'd like to think that when James would get down on those rough, callous knees to pray for his people, to pray for his family, to pray for himself, to ask for wisdom, that he would bear in mind these words that I'll leave with you as I conclude today from the Lord Jesus Christ, his half-brother, but also his Lord and Savior. Jesus said this, Mark eleven twenty two. 22, have Faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, verse 24, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours, beloved, on the authority of God's word. I encourage you this morning to ask the giving God. This is God's word and let all who agree say amen.